Hey, this is Jeremy McCrory, and this is the Run for Jesus podcast, a ministry podcast that will help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. This morning, we're looking at, as we've been doing, a continuous process of going through the Beatitudes. So we're in Matthew chapter 5 again. Matthew chapter 5 talks about so many different things that I think we need to take away from what God is saying here. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, the aspect of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is where we're going to land this morning. So, so we're to pursue after righteousness as people of God, but what does that mean? So let's look at that verse again. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does righteousness mean? Some of us have heard that word over the period of time we've been in this church or a church or been a Christian or a believer. But it really just means what is right and pleasing to God. That's a very simple definition of what it means to be righteous. What is right and what is pleasing to God. So that means that it doesn't matter how old or how young, how mature or how immature we are in our faith. We all can strive to be righteous or pleasing to God. It also means these expectations that he has. Expectations, whether in God or in people They are fulfilled expectations in relationships. We know those within our life. They're expectations between a man and a wife, parents and children, citizens, employers and employees, merchant and customers, ruler and citizens, and God and man. There's so many different things that are there. But the form of wisdom in the Bible really talked about our relationship to God and how it It kind of influenced those relationships that are close to us, our relationships with our family, our relationship with our our co-workers, our relationship with those nearest to us. And it's one of those things also, as we look at the Bible, it also stems from God's covenant relationship. God's covenant relationship was with who? Israel, right? So when he was with Israel, when he was working with Israel and they were doing the things that they were doing, Blessings came out of that, and they were deemed as righteous. So looking at all the things that God's Word says, we would probably be here for a long time this morning, but the big question comes out of this. It's, it's how do we present ourselves as righteous? How do we present ourselves that demonstrates how much we value Him the most? Do we value God's righteousness? Is that something that you and I strive to? Is that something we want to be in His right standing? We want to do what's pleasing to God? Do we hunger for that? See, I believe it requires a different way of life than most people ascribe to. Today, the message that the world gives us is that we are to be about our own selves, right? We are to do our own things. We are to feed our own selves. We are to be about our own things. And, and, and all of those things have a place, but they do not need to eclipse what God is doing in our lives. So what we value the most ought to be God's righteousness and make us live differently. One of the preachers that stands out to me was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody did a lot of things. 
He brought the gospel to many nations. He brought the word of God in such a tangible way that those that were gathered there at those outreach evangelistic events, they, they actually responded and came down under deep conviction. But one of his Western campaigns, he was followed city to city by an aged, broken man of, of such appearance who in each place asked the privilege of saying a word to the great congregations. This man would stand up in a, in a quavering voice and say, Is my son George in this place? George, are you here? Oh, George, are you here? Oh, George, if you're here, come to me. Your old father loves you, George, and cannot die content without seeing you again. Then the old man would sit down. Now, it came about one night, a young man came to Mr. Moody's hotel and asked to see him. It was George. When the great evangelist asked him how he could find it in his heart to treat a loving father with such a cruel neglect, the young man said, I never thought of him, but Mr. Moody, I have tried to do all the good I could. That is a good picture of self-righteous prodigal in the far country. He was a generous and with his money and with his words, yet every moment of his infamous life, he was trampling on the loving heart of the father. You know, how we present ourselves in this world really does matter, right? How we go about our lives and what we desire to do in our lives really does matter. And many of us would think insignificantly we live our daily lives going to work, going to school, going and doing things. We think they don't really matter. We think a lot of things that we contribute to our lives, they really don't matter in our minds. We think that. But I believe that God is doing something and God is wanting to do even greater things than we allow him to in our lives. And so God's word leads us not only to Matthew 5, 6, but also if you'll turn in God's word to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, it leads us a little bit further. Sometimes in scripture, I think we're all guilty of just reading one scripture, or we're, we're guilty in just reading the surface of a scripture. But I think we have to go a little bit deeper in order to really get the meaning behind something. So Romans 6, 13 says this, it says, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either resulting in either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were slaves to sin. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you were presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. For you were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. So you think about this, if you and I have been set free, sin has no reign over us, amen? If we have been set free, sin, although we remember the sin in our lives, 
we remember those things, it no longer has control because I've learned, and what you know all too well, when the Lord sets you and I free, we are free indeed. Amen? The old us is gone, the new us has come, and we are to live differently than we did before. Sometimes we're good at just coasting by, right? Anybody good at just getting by? Sometimes. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. Sometimes I'm good at just getting by. But He didn't intend for us to just get by. He wanted us to live an abundant life. And in order to do that, we've got to pursue righteousness. So as righteousness is pursued, we can consider ourselves blessed. So how does this reveal itself? One of the ways that righteousness and blessedness reveals itself is in our actions. Psalm chapter 1 tells us this, if you want to turn there. In Psalm chapter 1, that is in the Old Testament, of course. Psalms chapter 1 says this. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. The wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, will, but a way of the wicked will perish. So we are to live in a certain way. Our actions should demonstrate what we believe in. Our actions should demonstrate a closeness and a pursuit of God. So in other words, others should be able to tell whether or not you and I are spending time with God and pursuing after Him. Because we demonstrate that fruitfulness. That fruitfulness that will bear in season to bring glory to God. So how will others see us who seek after righteousness. Well, Matthew thirteen forty three says this, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. How many of you have ever been around an individual? And we've all had those people in our lives that were spiritual giants to us. That it seemed like if they had a bad day, no one ever knew it. Because they were blessed. They were always looking at the glass half full. They were always saying that, that life, even though it's hard, it's better than life without Him. And they would always have a scripture to bring. And they would always have a prayer to say. And they would be the ones that you would never hear them complaining about themselves. They would always want to do what? To know what's going on with us that they might help us. So you always see those kind of people, and that's the example that I have. But we also see this in Mark 2.17. It says, In hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, we see, demonstrates that over and over again, doesn't he? What does Jesus do? He goes where nobody else will go, right? He talks to people that you and I don't always associate with. 
He goes and he ministers to those that are taxpayers, those that are sinners, those that are in, invested and involved in things, such as the woman at the well. He goes and talks to people, uh, especially the young lady who's about to be stoned on the street. And he says, what, if you have sin or don't have sin, you cast the first stone and all these other things that happens that he stands in the way of those that need to know the gospel and brings that to them. So this passage comes true in all of this, that so many of those that were religious elite had trouble with Jesus because Jesus did what? Jesus broke down the barriers. He broke down the walls. He went to the people and he met them where they were. And I believe that example is something that even tells us today that if we're going to live and we're going to act and we're going to live out what we're called to live out, then it requires for us to go where he calls us to go. And one of the things that that is an attribute that's noted within scriptures is how we should ascribe to live unashamed of the gospel. This is one of the hallmarks of us as believers in Christ. If we are running after or thirsting after or hungering after righteousness, meaning that is at the forefront of our mind and our walk with God. That is at the forefront of what we do at work. That is at the forefront of what we know that that truly brings us joy in life. Then we are living unashamed of the gospel. That means wherever we are, no matter what the cost is, we're going to do everything we can to bring the gospel to the doorsteps of our neighbors and our friends and our family. And those times we go on missions, whether they're here in America or they're in Africa or wherever we're going, we're doing everything we can to tell the good news. And so Romans 1, 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to whoever believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So we know, we know one great fact is this. You and I are called to go, but who does the saving? It's God Almighty that does the saving. You and I are meant to be obedient. We are meant to ascribe to a standard that is different than this world. We are meant to to seek after Him with all that we have because He is all that we have. And as we do those things and as we go on those things and as we meet the needs around us and as we go to the places no one else would, will go and as we dine with people no one else will, then we bring the righteousness of God with us, but He does the salvation faith to faith to faith. That means this. That means there's some time in your life to where you were told the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you take the good news of Jesus Christ and believe in Jesus with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and you do what you're called to do, then you're going to love somebody else. And then the righteousness of God is going to work in your life. And so that other person is going to be presented with what? The gospel message. And that gospel message, if they're willing to accept it, they're going to do the same thing to somebody else. How many of you have a great recipe maybe a grandparent gave you or somebody gave you to, to, to actually fix this great dish? I know many of you have great dishes and things that you fix. And you know it because your grandparents showed you or because it was passed down over the span of time. Many of you have a trade or something that you've learned because your, your family member or your parent or your grandparent knew how to do it. There's so many things that are passed down and passed down and passed down. Why not faith? 
Why not Jesus? Why not righteousness? Why not the gospel passed down? And so when this passage says from faith to faith and faith to faith, it's revealed the righteousness of God. It really lends us to continue to teach and to tell people what matters most in life. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, by, But by do, His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who came, who came to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So for you and I to live unashamed and to live righteously, then we have to understand this, that we are not ever to a point of finality. There's still more of God's word that we need to know, right? There's still more that scripture teaches us. There's still more in our lives that God wants to do in us. You know, every one of us has an ability, a gift that's given from God. That if we use it individually, it's going to reach other people around us. But when we all use it as a church, what does it do? It spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth, doesn't it? When we all get together, if one of you starts shouting right now, and I hope you don't, but if one of you starts shouting, it's, it kind of just gets annoying, doesn't it? But when everybody's shouting, it's kind of like unified, right? The same thing goes when we're all doing what... God has called us to do, and we're all pursuing righteousness as He's called us. So what's your attitude towards righteousness this morning? What's your attitude towards this? Because it matters, right? If we say, okay, that's just something the preacher preached about, so I need to look at it. Or do you say, God's Word speaks on this, so I might want to perk my ears up, and I want to live it out, and I want it to become something of my life that when people look and I say I'm blessed or I'm doing well, they know that I've lived in this manner and this is the mark that I'm striving for. To hunger and thirst after His righteousness. Now throughout Scripture we look at righteousness and we're never able to depend on our own righteousness. And one of the authors said in the triumph of God, he said, much popular theology and Christian devotion is based on the idea not clearly expressed, but unmistakably revealed by careful analysis that someday, perhaps not in this world, and only after long purgation, we shall reach a condition in which God will be able to approve us as we are in ourselves. See, this is a fatal theological error. A time will never come when we shall be able to depend on our own righteousness as that which we can commend us to God. So to the end of the all eternity, the highest situation which we can aspire is that we already have that of sinners saved by grace. How many of you understand that you are a sinner but saved by grace? And it's that grace that we didn't deserve and we can't deserve, right? So none of us can be good enough, right? None of us can do enough good things on our own. We are saved by grace because of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3, 8 and 9, it really has a, a direct connotation with how we ought to live. It says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. How many of you look at life and you really say, I, you know, I count everything as loss. 
If I don't have all the friends and I don't have all the, the things the world says I ought to have, I still count it all as gain because of Christ in me and the value I have in Him and the value that comes through faithfulness and righteousness. So are you having the right attitude in that way? But secondly, are you living an unashamed life or is your faith in Him hidden from your life? You know, one of the most popular things when I was growing up later in years is are these little puzzles or pieces of paper that have a, a young man with stripes on his clothes and a little hat. And it's Where's Waldo, right? Anybody ever seen those Where's Waldo? Some of y'all are giving me blank stares right now like you're trying to say, where's the pastor? But uh, Where's Waldo was one of those things where you had to look extremely, extremely hard for this character Waldo in this picture that looked like chaos. And you had to find him and it was usually hidden really well. And you had to look really hard. How many of us if we were really honest, would say that that's kind of how the world has to look in our lives to find Jesus in us. It's really, really hard. And if you don't really look or you don't really pay attention, you might not even see him in our lives at all. See, that's the very opposite of what this passage is calling us to do. The very first thing and the very only thing that people should see in our lives is Jesus Christ. They shouldn't have to look so hard that they wonder if He's even there. They shouldn't have to look so hard to see Him in us. There was a story told within the Civil War. And it goes kind of like this. That God is not a doormat to be trodden underfoot at will. During the Civil War, someone is reported to have asked President Abraham Lincoln, said, Mr. President, do you think God is on our side? He replied something like this, My concern is whether or not we are on His side. The world is still waiting to see what God can do with one person who is totally dedicated to His will. A faith that is not worth dying for is hardly worth living for. So are we living that unashamed life to where God is at the forefront of everything that we do? where the mission of Jesus is something we ascribe to and say, if no one ever knows me, I want them to know Jesus in me. And I don't want them to, to have to look for it. I don't want them to have to search for it. I don't want them to have to examine. I want them to be able to see Him in us. And thirdly, when we are in pursuit of Him intentionally, then I truly believe that's the point that you and I will understand how blessed we really are. When you really look down to the deep parts of us and who we are, who we're made to be, we are made to be a blessed people. And why should we expect His blessings if we are a people that's embracing everything the world has to offer? Years ago, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale said this. He reported a visit with former President of the United States, the late Herbert Hoover. It said that President Hoover's Christian faith and practice were commendable. But during their conversation, the popular preacher asked, Mr. President, can you state in one sentence the secret of your success in life? Now, President Hoover said this quickly. He said, with the help of God, I never gave up. That's something commendable, isn't it? With the 
help of God, you and I are never to give up, right? We are never to forfeit our belief. So what would it take for you today to wake up in your life to what's most important? Or said another way, what would it take for him to get your attention in your life? What would it take for God to get your attention as he wants in your life to do what only he could to reach who he wants to reach? What would have to happen before you would fully engage in what God is trying to do? The late Charles E. Fuller said this on the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. One of the favorite selections of the Revival Hour Quartet was this. This world is not my home. Yes, Christians are in the world, but they are not of the world. The Word of God describes the believer in Christ as a pilgrim, a stranger, a traveler. The Christian in this life does experience a foretaste of glory divine, but the ultimate glory awaits him. He longs for the city whose builder and maker is God. And he yearns to behold Jesus face to face. You know, one of the words that that I really thought of in thinking of how we are to look at this life and how we are to look to God and what we are to do in our lives. One of the things we need to do is surrender. Surrender, right? We have to surrender before God and we have to surrender ourselves to God. And that means this. It's to give oneself up in the power of another. I think many pastors before me would use this word. They would say we have to yield to God. We have to submit to God. We have to give our all to Him. So what would it look like in your life, in my life, to fully surrender to the Lord? Several years back... The gentleman, Chris Tomlin, you know, he's written a few songs and he's okay in his writing. But he's a he's a great Christian artist. But he wrote this in his song, White Flag. He said, we raise our white flag. We surrender all to you, all for you. We raise our white flag. The war is over. Love has come. Your love has won. We need to surrender to God. We need to pursue righteousness that only he can bring. And only then, I do believe, we will be blessed more than any other. Let's pray, y'all. Father God, we come at this time. God, we just come. We come with humility. God, we come with anxiousness. God, we come with the desire, God, to do nothing but to glorify you. Father God, we have so many things that we run after in this life that garner and gain our attention, our time, our efforts, our energies. God, but we need you now more than ever. We need to hunger and thirst after your righteousness, Father God, because you are more than enough. Father God, we come this morning, many of us looking through our lives and asking ourselves some tough questions, Father God. Father God, many need to ask Do they know you as Lord and Savior? And if not, today is that day, God, that you've called them to do so. Father God, it doesn't matter what one another thinks. It matters what you think. So God, getting our heart right with you is the very first thing we can do. Surrendering our lives to you, God, that you might fill every corner and facet of our heart, mind, and soul, God. Father God, I pray in our lives 
as believers in Christ, that if we know you, God, that others are able to see how much we love you and how much we care for them. In other words, God, they shouldn't have to look very hard to see you in us. So, God, I pray this morning, if you have convicted us of the fact that we don't live, we don't operate, we don't do the things we ought to do, and we certainly don't pursue after you. Father God, I pray this morning we have a renewed commitment to you, God. God, we say whatever, whenever, God, I'm all in. So, God, I pray this morning, God, if you've called us to make some changes, whether they're difficult or not. Father God, I know that today you will lead us in that way. Father God, many of us strive for so many things and we're left at the end of the day unfulfilled. But Father God, your word tells us if we pursue after righteousness, if we pursue after faith, you will be our strength and you will be more than enough. So I pray this morning, God, that we just thank you. God, that we thank you for all that you've done, for our salvation, for our renewal, for our forgiveness, God. God, that you never give up on us. God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, we are so grateful. So God, I pray this morning as we have our time of invitation. Father, whatever you're calling us to do, whether it's salvation, renewed commitment, God, just to thank you, God, I just pray that we do that. God, not for our own glory, but for yours. Father, it's in your mighty name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Run for Jesus podcast with Jeremy McCrory. Tune in next time for more relevant sermons and ministry helps to help you run the race of faith in your Christian life like never before. Thank you.